Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Thursday, June 6th, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. I am fired up. Uh, I didn't do the show last night. I planned on because, you know, with these three episodes a week thing, the you know, trying to kind of space them out a little bit so that there's not really you know, an empty day, so to speak. So with these Thursday episodes, I'm going to try to do them kind of Thursday midday. And that way they're out Thursday for your ride home. And if you don't get to it, that's fine because Friday morning, uh, your ride to <clears throat> your ride to work or your ride home on Friday, you got, you know, a couple days to listen to it. And then the weekend as well to catch up uh, before new episodes start on Monday. So I kind of think I like that idea moving forward, keeping the Thursday episodes kind of midday here. And you know what? It worked out perfectly for me today because, uh, you know, as it usually happens, beginning of June, the ACC Big Ten Challenge schedule uh, was released. And, whoo, buddy, do we have a good one on tap for us in December. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about the new uh, rule change that is now officially NCAA is moving its three-point line back. I'm against that. Uh, I'll talk about why I am doing that. And then I was having an interesting discussion on Twitter with a couple uh, of guys, girls, I don't know, it's they're not gender-specific Twitter accounts that I was interacting with. Uh, But we were talking about Michigan State pros. Who's going to be the next Michigan State player to start uh, an NBA game? And I think that's an interesting uh, topic to talk about. So that's what we're doing, segments one, two, and three today. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Will underscore underscore Hunter, 1L2 underscores. If uh, you want to be on a future episode of Locked on Spartans, co-host the segment with me. DM me there at that Twitter account. Send me a pitch of what you would want to talk about in a segment. Uh, you can also email LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. I will be taking those submissions all throughout the summer. I'm actually recording the first one tonight. I uh, got another one that I'm recording tomorrow and then another one next week as well. So we already got a few uh, on the schedule here. You'll start hearing those next week. Uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we'll start rolling those out. So definitely do that. I look forward to uh, doing that. It's something a little bit different. I don't think you get that a ton on other podcasts. A chance for you guys to really be a part of the show and talk about something that interests you. So we are doing that. Uh, so definitely send in those pitches. All right, let's talk about today's show. So, the Big Ten ACC Challenge schedule gets released on Twitter, and uh, this one seemed almost too obvious to not do, given how last season ended, Um, and just given how these two teams have matched up in previous Big Ten ACC Challenges, the the calendar swings back, or the location swings back to East Lansing, Uh, but the, the easy prediction for this was Michigan State will host Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, I was hoping that would be the case. I'm sure a lot of you guys were always love playing Duke uh, and bringing Duke, a top five Duke team, to the Breslin Center would be awesome to play a number one, number two ranked Michigan State team. And wouldn't you know it, the uh, schedule makers comply with our demands. Duke will visit Michigan State uh, on December 2nd for their Big Ten ACC Challenge matchup. And that's friggin' awesome. That's going to be... Uh, if everything we'll see, you know, the Champions Classic could uh, sway things. Duke's going to play Kansas. Michigan State's going to play Kentucky. 
And so, you know, it's, it's certainly within reason. Uh, and Michigan State's got, you know, just some other tough games as well uh, before the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So there could be a loss in there for one of those teams, uh, certainly in the early season. But going into the, 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 the season, the preseason rankings, Michigan State will be the preseason number one team. I would assume Duke will be a preseason top five ranked team. And so you've got an absolute amazing powerhouse matchup early in the season. It's going to be probably the biggest non-conference game in the entire uh, schedule, you know, the pre-conference schedule. That like That's going to be the marquee one. That's going to be a massive game. And you're going to have two powerhouse teams, two blue blood programs, two teams loaded with really good players. Duke's going to have some really good recruits. Uh, and you know, bringing back some decent players from last year's team. This should be a really good Duke team, and that's just going to be awesome to have that at the Breslin Center, uh, highlighting the Big Ten ACC Challenge, highlighting the non-conference schedule, and, and of course, uh, a rematch of last year's Elite Eight games, which was uh, one of, if not the best games in college basketball last season. I assume there will be a, a billion uh, posters with Kenny Goins hitting that three over Zion Williamson all around Breslin center. That's going to be absolutely rabid. Um, I'm trying, you know, just off the top of my head, I don't think they're, you know, we're, we're still in June here, right? Things can change, but it projects to be probably the biggest non-conference game at the Breslin center, maybe in its history. Uh, there've certainly been some big ones, um, through the big 10 ACC challenge and other games. Uh, but this one with how these two teams project where they project to be at the end of the season, these are two of the five teams you would pick uh, to win the national title at this point. And really, there's not a lot to suggest that anything would change in that regard for either of these teams. Um, so this is, is just a massive game and I'm fired up for it. I love that Michigan State. Uh, we all love that Michigan State is playing these these gauntlets of non-conference schedules, getting these huge matchups against great teams. And when you've got a team as you know as loaded as Michigan State, uh, with such high expectations, and, and a team that's going to be as talent rich as Duke, the program history of Duke, um, with really uh, sky high expectations as well, they're going to be picked to win the ACC. They're going to be a national title uh, contender for sure. That's just that's going to be freaking awesome, and I can't wait for that. Um, and I was just so happy to see that, and it really it it caps off. What is going to be truly uh, the truest gauntlet of the ISO tenure? It's been, you know, in the last decade or so. Um, not that Michigan State ever didn't schedule hard, but there's really been an emphasis, an extra emphasis on playing really great teams early in the season. You know, the Champions Classic certainly adds a game every single year with great intrigue uh, and and just a great opponent guaranteed. Whether it's Kentucky, Kansas, or Duke, you're not going to get an easy match there. Um, but you know, that's been added. And now with this huge big 10 ACC game, Michigan state's going to Maui next year. Kansas is going to be in Maui and Kansas is going to probably, probably be a top five, top seven ish preseason team. They're going to be really good next year. Uh, there's a real chance Michigan state could play Kentucky in the champions classic, then go on the road to play Seton hall. Who's going to be a top 15 ish team Seton hall is going to be really good next year. Uh, then they're going to have a chance to play Kansas and Maui, which would be another potential top five matchup. And then you've got Duke in the Champions Class or in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Like it is the gauntliest, gaunt, gauntletiest, gauntletiest, the biggest gauntlet, <laughs> the Infinity Gauntlet. It is Tom Izzo's Infinity Gauntlet. There you go. That's how we're going to do that. The Infinity Gauntlet of scheduling. 
uh, it is going to be an absolute war. Like Michigan State is going to be begging to get to conference play uh, with the Big Ten looking to be okay next year. Maybe take, you know, with Michigan uh, losing a bunch of guys and other teams, uh, you know, Carson Edwards leaving early and Ethan Happ leaving the Big Ten. Um, you know, Iowa's going to be good. There's going to, Ohio State's going to be good. Indiana will be good. There's going to be good, some good teams for sure in the Big Ten, but it might take a step back last year where it was the best or second best conference all of the, the season, certainly the most deep conference, uh, a little bit of a step back. So Michigan State's going to get through that non-conference schedule and just be like, get us the conference play. We want Penn State. We want Rutgers. We want to go play Wisconsin. <laughs> like we need a break, um, but it's going to be awesome. And what like it, it could have been this type of schedule with say the Miles Bridges, Nick Ward, Cash Winston freshman year class where you're lacking experience. There's young, interesting talent, but the team's not going to be great. They're, they they might end up pretty good, but they're going to struggle in the early going and things like that. You could have gotten this type of gauntlet with that type of Michigan State team. It's certainly possible. And that would have been like, well, it's, it, these will be great tests for them. This will really help them down the road. It'll make them better players in the future. But you don't have that type of team. You've got a preseason almost unanimous uh, based on every single analyst preseason top 25 that I've seen start to come out now that the the draft process is over in terms of guys declaring and stuff like that and recruiting is pretty much done uh everything's pretty set here scholarships are pretty set across the board and so now everyone's got Michigan State at number one and you've got this almost unanimous preseason number one team slated to play one of the most difficult non-conference schedules you'll ever see and that's freaking awesome uh it would have been great to see a middling uh to good above average solid michigan state team do that and take their lumps and grow and know that it will help them at the end of conferences and it'll help them in the ncaa tournament that would have been all fine and and dandy and it would have been fun and exciting but this is going to be just a whole nother level like this is awesome. This is exciting. Getting this freaking Michigan State team taking on all these teams early in the season, just blue blood after blue blood after blue blood, top five matchup, top 10 matchup, top 15 road matchup. Like, hell yeah, sign me up for that 100 times out of 100. Uh, I'm looking forward to this basketball season for Michigan State. Probably more uh, than I've looked forward to any of them in recent history and, and you know, Two years ago, that was really exciting preseason. Like we knew that team would have a chance after Miles came back to be an NCAA contender. The Denzel Valentine senior year team we knew was going to be awesome. Uh, we're coming off a of Final Four, bringing back so much experience, and you know through the regular season, those two teams certainly had great seasons and were awesome teams and fun to watch. Um, but this is just a, a whole different level. It feels like it feels like this is the year for Michigan State, and this is just an amazing way to get the ball rolling on this season. And like, yeah, the the non conference schedule was already shaping up <clears throat> to be really great, but this is just like the most amazing cherry on top of an already incredible Sunday. Uh, and yeah, like everything's pretty set to go now, and. It's just going to be a freaking awesome season, and I know it's June, and we still got a long way to go before even football season starts, but the the Big Ten ACC Challenge stuff coming out today was just a great topper for you know what is going to be an awesome Michigan State basketball season and an awesome Michigan State non-conference season, so really looking uh, forward to that. All right, let's break right there. Uh, when we get back, we will talk about 
the NCAA deciding to move the three-point line back and why that is a bad idea for me. You can get Locked on Spartans in the brand new podcasting app Himalaya as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. The Himalaya Podcast app is totally free, super easy to use, and has all of your favorite podcasts. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Spartans. All right, welcome back to segment two of today's Locked on Spartans. So, the NCAA Rules Committee made a couple of changes um, that are, are going to be official. The ones that caught, you know, the most headlines uh, are here. Let me pull it up. The uh, NCAA is moving the three-point line back uh, to international distance. It'll be 22 feet, one and three-quarter inches, uh, starting next season in men's hoop. It uh, men's hoops. It was uh, 20 and a half feet. And so, yeah, now it's going to the uh, international um, level of 22, one and three quarters. They also are going to reset the shot clock uh, to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound, which I am all for. Uh, I think that'll help uh, the pace of the game, certainly. I think uh, it's done, a, you know, we've seen it. They did it in the NIT, and we've seen it uh, play out in the NBA, and I've been a fan of the uh, the changes there. As for the three-point line, uh, moving back, I am not a fan of the, I'll say it, I'll say it this way. I am a fan of the reason they're doing it. I'm not a fan of uh, it. I'm not a believer that it's going to work the way the NCAA thinks uh, it'll work. So uh, the rationale here, just this is straight from the the rule committee, making the lane more available for dribble drive plays from the perimeter, slowing the trend of three point shooting becoming too prevalent, assisting in offensive spacing. Uh, and the NIT teams uh, with this new three point line. Took 23.1 field goal attempts in the NIT from behind the arc compared to 22.8 in the regular season. So an incredibly negligible change there. Slight, slight decline in the three-point shooting percentage of the teams was 33% compared to the regular season average of 35.2%. Now, that can't be the data that we completely rely on because the NIT features a handful of teams. Um that have different offensive identities and, and things like that. And so that's not a perfectly accurate sample size, but it does illustrate that this will decrease three-point shooting and decrease three-point shooting percentage. Uh, I would guess that, um, you know, so the last time the NCAA did this, three-point shooting fell uh, a, what was like a percentage point. Uh, after it moved a foot, it's moving a little bit more than a foot this time. I would guess that the three-point shooting percentage college-wide will fall a couple percentage points next year, and I would guess that the percent of three-point taken, uh, three-point shots taken, would fall like a half percent, like nothing. I think it'll be a negligible drop, really small drop. Um, in terms of why I don't like this as the route to go about doing that because I am all for increasing uh, spacing. I am all for unclogging the lane. I am all for um, making, you know, a reemphasis on post play and different things like that. Um, And I've talked about this before uh, when this was proposed. I am not in favor of trying to, because the entire goal of this is to increase the aesthetic beauty of the game, to increase offensive efficiency, to make uh, you know, more things happen that uh, inside the three-point line. Uh, the NCAA is worried that they're on the fast track to becoming the NBA. 
with the way that the three-point line skews the math. Three is obviously greater than two. And there are a number of shots from three that are much better, more efficient shots than shots inside the, the arc. It's, it's basically free throws and layups and then all the threes. Uh, you go to the corner and then you start moving up from there and then uh, once you get to like mid-range stuff, it's all pretty much a wash in terms of that stuff. They're all pretty similar in terms of the rate guys make in the mid-range, but they're all way less efficient shots than uh, three-point shots. And so, you know, once people figure out that math, they start shooting more threes. And, you know, it's just, it's a factual, it's a math problem. Uh, it's not something that can be really <laughs> changed uh, a ton, but you can do things to either, you know, I guess... The, you, you can do things to make three-point shooting less a part of the game, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I like three-point shooting. I think it's exciting. Uh, I think it, it helps with the spacing, certainly. Just having more guys that are able to shoot threes will help three-point or will help offensive spacing by dragging bigs out to the line and different things like that. And so, um, you know, like I said, I'm all for the reasoning behind this. I just don't think that punishing shooters, punishing shooting, I should say, punishing three-point shooting is the proper way to uh, make better basketball. I think there are different ways that they could have gone about this. Some of them are kind of like radical things, but we're at a point now with basketball, and the NBA is really going to have to take the lead on this because uh, it's a bigger problem there. Their players are better. Uh, it's a more watched product. It has more money. It's just, it's more important in the NBA. It's more of a pressing need. And so I think the NBA will do something uh, in the future to make big changes. And the, NCAA, the, the NBA has really led the way on how basketball changes. The reason that guards are having such, you know, a great era right now in basketball is because of hand check rules that were implemented um, you know, you, a lot of us are Pistons fans. A lot of us are from Michigan. Uh, we remember the going to work Pistons. If you go watch or just go look up their scores, their box scores from playoff games, like they were regularly playing games in the seventies and the eighties, holding teams to 78 points in playoff games. And ru the rules changed in basketball a lot to sort of curb that, to make life easier, to create more room. Uh, around the perimeter, and those were drastic changes. Uh, there have been many changes made at the NBA level in terms of the lane, goaltending. Goaltending used to be legal. Like, you could block a shot at any point as long as it wasn't through the rim. You could go grab it when it was sitting on the rim about to fall, and you could go grab it off. Uh, but they made changes to increase uh, the you know, offense and, and make basketball more fun to watch. And goaltending was one of those things. And that's something that's like, wow, that's a crazy rule change. And it's something that you wouldn't even consider because it, it really shapes the game. But like basketball has had to make significant changes a number of times throughout its history because uh, things change. Eras change. Eras dictate new things. And you're always constantly tweaking to try to make the game better. And so right now, I think the NBA is at a bit of a crisis point in terms of uh, the, the size and athletic ability of the players and the size limitations of the court. Um, and that's something that doesn't get brought up enough, I don't think, because, you know, the court is the same size as the players were, or the court is the same size as it's been, and players are much larger and athletic uh, than they used to be. Like, it, like there weren't six foot 11 guys who could run and dribble and do all sorts of thing. And now every single wing is six foot seven, six foot eight, instead of six foot four, like guys are just bigger and more athletic. 
And I think basketball as a game is starting to outgrow the court that it's being played on. And so I think there is some real merit to widening the court, lengthening the court just a little bit to create more space around that. And then what you have with that, if you keep kind of the three-point line, let's say, with the NCAA, if you kept it where it was last season and widened the court behind it, you're creating additional space there for uh, the corner three, and that's a decision, that's a tactical decision uh, for offenses and defenses to play with. Do we want to play a shooter in the corner right on the line, or do we want to drag that defender back towards the sideline? Because there's no difference right now in the corner three, and really even up the wings and things like that. You really run out of room quickly. And if there's more room in the offensive end behind the three-point line, you could do different things offensively to space out the floor. Uh, maybe guys aren't going to be shooting a ton from way back there, but you can certainly run offense in those areas. You have good shooters who can step out a couple feet behind the line and hit there. It forces defenses to uh, you know, expand out beyond them, the, you know, areas they wouldn't want to expand beyond and then you've opened up more space on the baseline like there are certain spots on a basketball court where space gets really tight really quickly and and the baseline's another one of them uh where if you were able to do that you could open up space on the baseline that helps with the dunker spot under the basket and things like that and that opens would open up a lot of space by widening the court and you know another thing i think they could do uh just real quick here is like the idea that they want to increase offensive efficiency uh, in terms of two-point baskets, you know, post-play stuff in the lane, dribble drive, and things like that. I'm again all for it, but I think there are just different ways you could tweak rules instead of de uh, de incentivizing shooting from deep, incentivize playing from within the post. Make it easier to play in the lane. Make it easier to get the ball into the lane. You know, create. We've got different rules. What is like the phone book or phone booth rule, the halo rule, whatever it's called, where or the cylinder rule, where there's a certain cylinder that a guy is entitled to going up for a shot. You could do that in post entries and things like that. You could, uh, excuse me, almost just choked <laughs> while swallowing there. Um, you could shrink the lane. And tweak, uh, you know, the offensive uh, three-second calls and things like that. Um, you could, like, right now, post guys have to move in and out of a lane that is really wide, and they can get caught there and, and get, you know, it's harder to set up offense that way. Post touches, uh, more often than not, get kicked out uh, and are getting caught at the elbow and things like that. And when the lane is as wide as it is, that's really far away from the basket. You can shrink the lane and tweak that offensive three-second stuff where guys are able to spend more time in the post, able to get deeper position. Uh, and if you do that with you know different rules, entitle them to some space in the post on entry passes and things like that, uh, you can really uptick the efficiency of offensive play within the lane. And I think that's something you know, I would like to see, I would like, I always enjoy watching big guys uh, dominate real low. You know, the game really got out of hand, uh, you know, in the 60s, 70s and things like that with the big guys. And so they changed rules to make life easier on the guards. And now things have swung the other way. And now I think it's time to make life easier on the big guy again in basketball, not necessarily make life harder on the guards. College basketball players are really good at basketball, but they're not you know, compared to the NBA, things like that. There's a lot of limitations in college basketball uh, in terms of offensive ability. You have to be able to pass the ball 
uh, to score in college basketball. You don't have guys like a fully developed Kevin Durant or James Harden who can just generate and manufacture offense on their own. And that's, you know, there's certainly a, a lot of appeal of that uh, in college basketball. I watch the NBA in college basketball for different reasons. Um, and I love college basketball and I want to see it, you know, increase uh, in terms of, I want to see it become a, a better game, a more aesthetically pleasing game, a game with better flow, a game with higher offensive efficiencies. And I'm just, I'm worried that this three point line will have a similar effect, not to, like the same thing, but uh, like the, the hand checking rules and the, 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 the increased emphasis on different things um, that the, the rule committee has done where you're like, great. Uh, you can't hand check anymore. That should open things up. Well, in the college game, it's led to a lot of really slog, awful games that are over officiated, uh, and a lot of ticky tack calls that just really, uh, yes, by the letter of the law, those are fouls, but they don't help the game when they're getting called constantly. And I, I complained a lot during the basketball season that games were almost unwatchable at times because there was never any flow to them. And, you know, increasing the calls did not deter players from hand checking. It just increased the amount of calls that went against them. And I'm worried that moving the three point line back won't deter shooters from taking threes. I think guys are still going to take a bunch of threes because the math is still in favor of taking more threes. It's just going to be harder now. And whatever space you have in theory opened up behind them, uh, like it will be kind of washed out by the loss of efficiency of the three point shot. And, it won't have the intended effect that it's supposed to. And I think there are other changes that could be made to uh, help the overall efficiency of offenses, create more freedom of movement for guys and not negatively impact shooting uh, because like three point shooting is not going away. And I don't think the NCAA has a problem right now. Like some people think the NBA is at a point where they're starting to have a problem with three point shooting. And I think they're just starting to approach that the NBA I don't think three-point shooting's uh, that big of a problem in the college game right now. It probably would continue to be if nothing changed at all. And I'm cool making changes uh, to sort of you know be proactive and, and try to limit that and, and keep the two-point basket and mid-range game and post-play in college basketball. I'm, I'm for that. I just don't know that punishing shooting is the uh, the way to go about that. All right, we'll take a break right there. When we get back, we'll talk about uh, Michigan State players uh, who's going to be the next Michigan State player to start an NBA game? So we'll do that after the break. Remember to get the show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Spartans and the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need the free Himalaya podcast app with their personally curated playlist and theme collection of shows. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Spartans. All right, welcome back to segment three of today's Locked on Spartans. So uh, I was having a discussion uh, with Bound to Win, uh, he brought it up, he or she brought it up um, on Twitter that, uh, you know, it's just an interesting question because we were kind of talking about, like, man, Michigan State has a lot of guys on the roster who are kind of fringe NBA-ish type guys, guys you could see play in the league uh, at some point, maybe some G League type guys who end up in the NBA, some back end of the NBA bench guys, some overseas pros. There's a lot of pros on the roster, but there's not a bona fide, like that's a lottery pick. And just to have 12 guys probably who are professional basketball players and none of them be bona fide lottery picks. It's just, uh, it's kind of crazy. You know, they've got great depth and they've got really good high ceilings for college, 
players like Cassius is going to be one of the best players in the league, but in terms of NBA potential, it's just not quite at that level. And so we were wondering, you know, who's going to be the next Michigan State player to start an NBA game? That's obviously discluding guys already in the league. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think, I guess we could include Matt McQuaid, Kenny Goins, and Nick Ward in this, but I wouldn't pick any of them as my next. Uh, the first places I go, uh, I, I think about Cassius Winston, I think about Aaron Henry, and I think about Marcus Bingham Jr. in terms of guys who are on the roster. I think Cassius will be drafted next year. I think he'll be a second round pick. Somebody's going to take a chance on him uh, and think that they can build him up a little bit athletically. And we'll see what he looks like physically. That's going to play a big role in how things shake out for him uh, in terms of NBA stock. But if he looks a little bit faster, a little bit stronger next year, maybe someone thinks, yeah, we can get him to a point where he can be a somewhat competent defender in the NBA, can actually stay out on the floor and then be able to offset that with the great offensive gifts that he has because offensively he can play in the NBA right now. Uh, defensively, he's just nowhere near that yet. And so the thinking behind Cassius is he gets selected in the second round of the NBA as a rota- back of the rotation type guy playing a little bit, maybe bounces back and forth on a two-way between the G League and the NBA team that picks him. And then some point late in next season, uh, if he's on a bad team, their starting point guard gets hurt or something like that, they're tanking, they're doing whatever, uh, there's a chance for him to you know, see an uptick in his minutes uh, and get some starts. Uh, that's sort of a cheap backdoorish way of doing it, but I could see that playing out where Cassius plays a handful of minutes a game next year in the NBA and, and throws in a couple of starts towards the end of the season. I could see that. Uh, Aaron Henry is an interesting one. We'll see what his game looks like, but he's someone who certainly has the body, uh, the athletic ability, and some NBA-type skills that you can see. If he can work on refining his game, being more competent off the dribble uh, in terms of penetrating, getting to the rim, where he can do it consistently and not sort of get lost in the lane and turn it over like he occasionally did, and he got better uh, during his freshman season. But if he makes a leap in that department and is able to beat guys off the dribble, break them down, get to the rim and uh, improve his three-point shooting stroke, make it more consistent. It's certainly there. He can shoot it. Um, but if he can get to a 39 40% type thing with some consistent uh, shooting there, I think he could, uh, with a great season, end up being a first-round pick next year. And in that case, you would imagine he could start some games. Uh, that's probably the ceiling for him after next season. Um, and I'm not so certain he's going to hit it. It's going to be tough for him to get a ton of shots next year because he will be th- third or fourth in the pecking order. But I think uh, the potential is certainly there for uh, him. And then with Bingham, the ultimate wild card in this one, because he has the NBA uh, height, the NBA range, the NBA, like he's sort of that unicorn type player. He's huge. He's got long arms. He can block shots. He can shoot threes. He's comfortable handling the ball. It's just a matter of getting experience for him and, and adding size. He's someone who's going to benefit from this offseason. I would imagine he comes back next year in the physical shape to be able to handle playing in the Big Ten and rebounding and defending pick and rolls and things like that. Uh, next year is going to be really big for him. I think it'll tell us a lot, and it could be as extreme as, yep, he's going to the NBA and he's going right now. He's there. He's ready to go. He's going to be a, a you know pick in the mid first round or something like that or uh, he's just not quite there yet it might be some time and we're not really sure if this is going to pan out if he's going to be able to put things together remember Adrian Payne is just an easy comp there in terms of 
putting things together late with that sort of skill set and ended up being a first round pick. And I think Bingham's ceiling's probably a little bit higher than Payne's because I like his shooting a little bit better. I think he's more athletic. Uh, and I think there's just a little bit more there uh, with him. So that's certainly uh, an interesting one. He's sort of the ultimate wild card where that ceiling is, is really high, but he hasn't even started to sort of reach it yet. But we could start seeing him make huge strides. Uh, as far as other guys, you know, I don't think Langford uh, will see. Uh, Tillman, I think, could be. I think Tillman's going to be in the NBA at some point. I don't know if it's after this season. Uh, it might be after this season. We'll see how the shooting develops. But I don't think he's someone who's going to be uh, a starter right away. I think he'll be a bench guy in the NBA. And in a couple of years, you could see him work his way into a point where he can start. We'll see with Tillman. Uh, Gabe Brown has the size, has some athleticism and can shoot it. Uh, you always want guys who are six, seven and can shoot it. Uh, but he needs to develop on the defensive end and, and different things like that. And I think he's a couple years off. So I would think somebody would start a game before he's even getting to the NBA, but we'll see with him. Uh, you know, and we just don't know about the freshman Rocket Watts. Uh, certainly seems to be like a guy who can fill it up and score a ton. We'll see what he looks like. At the college level, Malik Hall has the frame uh, and some of the shooting and, and size and things and projects to be someone who could end up being in the NBA, but I think he's a little bit too far off. And Michigan State doesn't have anyone coming in this class that's a, a bona fide one-and-done type guy. Um, and it could be, like, throughout this entire process, someone... Uh, the answer to this question could be someone who's not even at Michigan State right now. Could be Joey Hauser. In theory, he's got that sort of skill set and size, but it could be also uh, someone who's going to be part of the recruiting class for not this year's team, but next year's team. Michigan State could certainly land a top 15 high school player who's going to be a one-and-done uh, lottery pick who ends up starting for his NBA team right away, kind of like Jaron Jackson Jr. So those are sort of the options there, but I think it's uh, an interesting discussion, and it just really highlights how deep Michigan State is, how many pros they have on the team uh, that are maybe not bona fide NBA guys who are going to be playing in the league. Certainly, I would think a handful of guys on this team will be playing in the NBA at some point, but nobody's a surefire thing. Uh, and that's just, it's really interesting because there's a lot of really excellent players, but there's no sort of superstar go to lottery pick Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson type. And so it's just, you know, it, I think it's it's good for the team, actually. Not that you don't want stars, but like this specific team, you know, if you could add a lottery pick to it, uh, that'd be great. But in this, I think what worked so well for the team last year and what I think is going to work next year is there's a ton of really good players who all play their roles really well. And that helps with team chemistry, shot selection, running offense, playing defense. Like everybody has their job and they do it and they do it well. And that's really great to have at the college game. It's an advantage over teams uh, that are young and really talented like Duke last year. And I think you saw some of that play out certainly in the Elite Eight game uh, when Michigan State was able to beat Duke. And there was certainly a talent discrepancy in terms of NBA guys slanted towards Duke. They have three guys who are going to be taken in the top 10, two in the top five, two in the top three, really. Uh, but Michigan State was able to beat them through, uh, you know, chemistry, role playing, experience, things like that. And I think that's what uh, the the things that Michigan State's really going to rely on next year, along with really good college basketball talent. All right, that's the end of today's show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back Monday with another episode. Uh, send in those pitches, lockdownspartans at gmail.com. 
uh, at will underscore underscore hunter one l two underscores a DM me there if you want to be on the show as well. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to the show. That stuff's always appreciated. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes on your phone every single day. Uh, we'll be back Monday with another episode of Lockdown Spartans. Hope you have a good weekend. Until then, go green.